Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Welcome back to New Books and Historical Materialism. I am your host, Stephen Dozman. The Marxist revolutionary Leon Trotsky exerted a powerful influence on the world, even if his historical and theoretical contributions have often been downplayed, and people who wish to be associated with him are few and far between today. There are a number of factors that have contributed to this marginalization, but correcting it will require revisiting his thought in a careful and contextualized manner in order to better understand his ideas, salvage the underlying core, and adapt it for the 21st century. One person attempting to do this is Juan Del Masso in his new book, Hegemony and Class Struggle, Trotsky, Gramsci, and Marxism. Originally written and published in Spanish before being translated by the author for the series Marx, Engels, and Marxism, the text spends the first two chapters revisiting Trotsky's developing thoughts on hegemony, political leadership, party vanguards, and bureaucracies, finding a highly dynamic figure whose thought reflected the changing times he was embedded in. Following this, Del Masso returns to Gramsci's notebooks, carefully contextualizing the often critical remarks on Trotsky, cutting past surface appearances to find some key points of overlap in their thoughts on political revolution. The book ends with a series of reflections on the receptions of Trotsky and Gramsci, with one left on the margins of history and political theory, the other theorized to the point where his political commitments have often been made to disappear. In all this, Dalmaso encourages to see these figures in a new light, and in doing so develop a Marxist conception of class struggle that can help bring us into the 21st century. Juan Dalmaso is a freelance researcher and activist in Buenos Aires, Argentina. He is a frequent contributor to Left Voice. He is also a member of the editorial board of Ideas of the Left Weekly in Argentina. He is also the author of the following books, The Marxism of Gramsci in 2016, and Althusser and Manuel Sacristan in 2020, co-written with Ariel Petruccelli. Juan Del Masso, welcome to the New Books Network. I really thank you, Stephen. Uh, thanks yeah, for having for, me here. For, yeah, very excited to have you here. So for first question, I always like to have guests introduce themselves. So could you maybe tell us just a little bit about who you are as a scholar and what your work and research interests tend to focus on? Okay, I'm an independent scholar. I don't speak English very fluent, so I (laughs) ask for your patience. I will try to do my best. Uh, I'm militant um, in the Socialist Workers' Party in Argentina, PTS, Partido de los Trabajadores Socialistas, and we make the international newspaper network, uh, La Izquierda Diario, which in the United States uh, makes uh, left boys, my, my conference of left boys are discussing a lot of questions related to the theme of our conversation now. And I was uh, studying about the thought both of Gramsci and Trotsky a lot of years, writing some uh, little pieces, articles, and then I started to try to develop this work in several books, uh, which uh, is one of them, uh, Hegemony and Class Struggle. Yeah, jumping right off of that, um, maybe just to start this conversation off, it's worth kind of getting on the table just a basic understanding of the core thesis of the book, which is that for you, uh, Trotsky's theory of permanent revolution needs uh, Gramsci's conception of hegemony as a sort of supplement in order to better understand what it is and how to implement it. 
Um, so we'll tease out various aspects of that idea throughout the conversation. But to kick things off, could you give us just kind of a basic understanding of, uh, you know, why you think these two theories complement each other in this way or why Trotskyists need Gramsci? Yes, I think both theories are talking about the problem of the dynamic of class struggle in relationship with other social strata uh, which are oppressed by capitalism. It's not only a theory about the um, struggle of the working or industrial working class in itself, but both theories are trying to think the problem of the articulation you, you need to, to do between the working class and the peasants, social movements, women's movements, and other movements, um, which a composition a lot of times I, is um, of working class people in the social condition, but they are, they are identifying themselves uh, through another ideas or principles or issues, okay? So I think both theories, permanent revolution and hegemony, are trying to think this articulation in order to confront capitalism, uh, avoiding both uh, ways of identity politics, which separates the problems uh, of the so-called minorities and uh, the economicism or uh, economic reductionism, uh, with, uh, which uh, has a very limited conception of what working class struggle is. Yeah, developing this a little more, uh, one thing I found really interesting about the book is that in reading Trotsky and Gramsci together, um, you're kind of pulling them both in some unique directions. So on the one hand, Trotsky is often seen as merely just kind of a historical figure um, and kind of a relic at that by most mainstream historians. He's not often treated as a political theorist. On the other hand, Gramsci is treated as a theorist so theoretically abstract that his political militancy more or less disappears in a lot of discussion of him. So I'm wondering if you could maybe speak to that and how you're trying to, by reading them together, uh, also reread them both separately in kind of a unique way. Okay, uh, I think uh, Trotsky has been ignored as a theoretician, especially in academia, because uh, his uh, too closely tied to problems of political conjuncture or specific situations. Uh, and this link with politics has been considered as a kind of impediment, impediment to doing science or making substantial theoretical uh, contributions. Well, I think these uh, prejudices are um, clearly anti-Marxists because uh, for, Marxisms, the, uh, for Marxism and for Marxists, the politics uh, can be never be an impediment to theory. Uh, and in, an, in, in another hand, uh, the case of Trotsky is very interesting because not all Marxist politicians ha have been uh, theorists. Uh, people who make theory. Trotsky had made theory and have tried to make systematizations about important problems like the characteristics or the dynamics of the contemporary revolution. So it's very, it's a really leading figure if you want to think about the problem of revolution today, notwithstanding a revolution today, it won't be exactly like Russian revolution or the, the other revolutions of uh, 20th century. Um, I think in, in the case of Trotsky, there is a huge prejudice, which is a really good uh, 
presented in the book of Emanuele Saccarelli, who makes uh, a lot of criticisms of, uh, about uh, this, uh, this situation, talking about the prejudices of academia and, and intellectuals as a kind of legacy of the uh, influence of Stalinism. I think uh, he's right in, in this issue. But now there's a very, uh, no, very, there's a, a little uh, new situation concerning Trotsky. There's new generations without the prejudices of the past because uh, a lot of experiences of the 20th century are not uh, so uh, present or so recognized. So Trotsky is now a new uh, figure to a lot of people, especially young uh, researchers or students or militants in social movements. And I think um, this is an opportunity to take his theory and use it again to think the actual problems of Marxism and uh, class struggle. Concerning Gramsci is like the opposite situation. <laughs> Gramsci, Gramsci is, a, is a defeated leader. He, he couldn't make the revolution in Italy. Simultaneously, he had made very important reflections in the, uh, in the um, aspect of theory. Uh, he had talked about problems that um, another Marxist didn't think uh, before. Uh, and there's this, there is uh, this kind of uh, contradiction in which he's used because of his um, theoretical approaches, but um, uh, misrecognizing, uh, mis uh, forgetting his condition of a political militant, a political leader. So I think we can't, we can't read Gramsci without his political experience. The, the core of his reflections concerning problems like the states, no, like the problem of state, his, uh, its relationship with the masses, with the class struggle, all of these problems uh, related to the question of an integral state, for example, a, a very important concept from Gramsci, uh, are related directly with the experience of the struggle against fascism in Italia, for example, in Italy. So we can't um, think Gramsci like he was um, a colleague in the university <laughs> or, or just a researcher. Um, and I think this uh, overlap between Gramsci and Trotsky uh, allow us think the Gramsci theory in a very more political way. Yeah, so moving into the first chapter of the book, the first couple chapters are dedicated to kind of a very uh, careful reading of Trotsky's writing throughout his life. Um, to kick things off, you point out that hegemony as a concept or idea largely emerged uh, in Russia, in pre-revolutionary Russia, and in left activist circles. Uh, what was the concept initially developed to address? Why did uh, many activists in that area start turning to hegemony as a way of trying to understand what they were trying to do? Okay. Originally, hegemony means leadership. Um, the hegemon is a kind of chief in the Greek conception, the, the ancient conception. In Russian Marxism, uh, the concept is re-elaborating, uh, trying to think especially two problems. One, the role of the proletariat in a democratic bourgeois revolution, because Russian Marxists 
thought that the revolution against sadism uh, should uh, have a first um, stage or first moment uh, to conquer the constituent assembly, the formal democracy, and the uh, agrarian revolution, and the struggle for socialism uh, should be uh, more later in, in the years, no? The other question is the relationship between the working class and the peasants. Because Russia was a country with a huge majority of peasants and the working class uh, couldn't do a revolution without the peasants. So the hegemony is a concept in, in first instance uh, forged to think this problematic the, pol the role of the proletariat in the Russian Revolution, especially thinking the relationship with the peasants. Yeah, turning to Trotsky's own thinking, you kick off uh, the discussion of Trotsky with a kind of a sort of intellectual confrontation between Trotsky and Lenin. So Lenin put out his uh, very famous text, What is to be Done in 1902, uh, and Trotsky responded in his work, Our Political Tasks, shortly mm -hmm. after. And initially, Trotsky uh, had kind of an, a very confrontational attitude towards Lenin. He really thought that there were some uh, issues in Leninism or Bolshevism. Could you maybe speak to this early uh, position Trotsky starts out in? Yes, I think uh, this young Trotsky uh, of our political tasks is a kind of autonomist uh, Trotsky. <laughs> he, his thinking is that Lenin has the project of being the dictator of a sect, leading a sect, and also, also Trotsky thought that the work, the political work of Marxists should be especially in the working class, not in the intellectuals, not in the peasants. Uh, this is a, this young Trotsky, it's a kind of a workerist, autonomist uh, Trotsky, but, uh, and for this, uh, because of that, uh, Trotsky has some, uh, rejection against the concept of hegemony because uh, he, he thought that has a, this, this was a kind of populist conception or, or a conception um, that uh, wouldn't be um, correct to uh, have a militants in the working class. But uh, Trotsky also had uh, something very good in this period, in all this discussion, which uh, Al, um, Alain Brossat has called uh, the Trotsky sociologism. sociologism. Uh, uh, that, this conception about the strength of the social movement, the strength uh, of the movement that uh, grows um, from um, below, abajo, below. Okay, I'm, I'm saying okay, below. I always, um, I always confuse uh, above and below. I'm trying to <laughs> to say movimiento desde abajo, uh, below. So um, he, Trotsky never changed his idea about in all his life about the the um, centrality that the independent struggle of the masses uh, should be. Even in the, in the more um, party, uh, see, in, in the more uh, partidist way, in the more partidist and Bolshevik moments, Trotsky always had the idea that the uh, mass mobilization, um, the spontaneity, all this was very important and was a, a core of his political theory, which is uh, expressed in his balance of the revolution in 1905, um, around the question of the Soviets and the role of the Soviets, the workers' councils, uh, like an institution of self-organization of the masses. Uh, he, 
he, he make a, a kind of incorporation of the problematic of hegemony um, through the experience of this revolution in 1905. And um, the, the problem of hegemony is uh, linked in the Trotsky's thought um, to the question of the uh, of a very um, a very consequent struggle of the working class, not only taking the demands of the peasants, but but also um, putting his its own demands, defining its own demands uh, with independence from the liberal bourgeoisie and other sectors. Yeah, so moving along, so um, from this kind of early starting point you were outlining, Trotsky would have a sort of uh, intellectual change of heart. Um, while he did maintain some of his early commitments to working class organizing, uh, he turned towards developing um, most famously is ideas around permanent revolution, but also uh, he develops this idea of a sort of materialist hegemony um, in this idea that um, uh, working class organizing requires various sorts of material and institutional supports and structures in saw um, Bolshevik and Soviet parties as possibly helping uh, give that sort of organizing a place where it could kind of flourish and you know express itself. Uh, could you maybe speak to this uh, uh, intellectual trajectory he would have leading up to 1917? Okay. Um... The, Trotsky made a confluence with the Bolshevik party, but not exactly with all the party, but especially Lenin's uh, April text thesis. No, thesis, yes. Um, and he, since uh, that moment, Trotsky always talked about the polemics of the past with Lenin and other people in the Bolshevik party, trying to, to say that it, it was um, polemics, necessary polemics in the moment when they discussed each other, but uh, not important to the present, okay? Uh, between uh, 1917 uh, and 19... 26, 27, Trotsky is trying to uh, don't, don't talk about permanent revolution and the theory of Lenin or blah, 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 because he was, um, he was trying to um, make uh, some political struggle uh, through the Bolshevik party uh, around the concrete problems uh, of the economy, of the relationship between the peasants and the workers uh, under the NEP regime and other problems. But he always maintained the idea of the um, material, material basis of the hegemony, as you said, uh, thinking in two, in two aspects. One of them, the social uh, strength of the proletariat inside the Soviet society, and the other, the question of uh, self-organization, self-determination uh, institutions, like the Soviets, uh, which um, were um, empty since uh, 1924 because of the process of bureaucratization and Trotsky uh, in the 30s, uh, made the theory, create the, uh, create the theory of the political revolution against bureaucracy, uh, proposing um, a Soviet democracy. Okay, all, all parties who uh, that support the revolution should be legal, and the working class should uh, have uh, institutions to um, have the effective. Uh, leadership in the Soviet society, social and politically, okay? Because Stalinism says, okay, you are the dominant class in, in the social 
uh, basis, but the politics is ours. Yeah, it's worth maybe turning to, um, in chapter two, you start looking at um, uh, Trotsky's transition theoretically as he starts to respond to Stalinist bureaucratization. So on the one hand, you have Stalin who is trying to assimilate Leninism to justify his own kind of takeover of uh the transition in the party and the bureaucratization. Um, how did Trotsky's theory or idea of hegemony develop as it started to function as a critique of this bureaucratization? Okay, I think um, uh, Trotsky um, was uh, thinking the problem of bureaucratization of bureaucratization since uh, 1923, 24, but it has a growing development in the same way that the bureaucratization, uh, bureaucratization gets stronger. I think the concept of hegemony of Trotsky is a very interesting alternative to Stalinism because he talked he, he talk about the problem of the social um, weight of the working class is not good enough to make this class hegemonic. Uh, the working class must be dominant in the political way, but its leadership concerning the peasants must be um, a leadership based in the, in the mutual uh, good relation and not imposed by, by authority, like was the, the forced collectivization and the implementation of the five-year plans. So there, there is some, um, some kind of doubt or, or discussion about if Trotsky thought that in the 30s, it was, it was a, a real and a real uh, uh, effective hegemony of the working class because of the dictatorship of the bureaucracy. So you you had in the in the United, in the Soviet Union in thirties a huge proletariat in industries, uh, but uh, there there were not um, workers' democracy. So the conception of hegemony of Trotsky is linked to idea to the idea of workers' democracy, and uh, we, we cannot separate uh, them. Yeah, moving right along, and to kind of tie things off uh, with Trotsky here. Um, so for you, you've been developing this idea of hegemony not just as this kind of ethereal, abstract policy, but as uh, something embedded in various institutions. If I can quote you a bit, you write, quote, for Trotsky, hegemony is a moment of an overall dynamic, which is that of permanent revolution. The relations between the two can be interpreted as a mirror image of those established by Gramsci. While in Gramsci's view, hegemony is the current form of permanent revolution for Trotsky, it is only on the basis of a theory and strategy of permanent revolution that hegemony can be established as a way of developing workers' power instead of limiting it to a general democratic policy. So to close off the chapters on Trotsky, I'm wondering if you could maybe, again, kind of bring back what hegemony is for you and for Trotsky, you know, not this uh, kind of abstract democratic um, a sphere of political autonomy that has nothing to do with material conditions, but is very much a part of those uh, okay. material conditions. First, it's important um, say something about the conditions of the debate in Latin America. Here we have the, our, our Argentinian philosopher that we exported to you, Ernesto Laclau. I thought of so, Laclau and Muff when I read that uh, passage. Ernesto Laclau is, is very influent uh, uh, also here, not only in Europe or, or in the academy in the United States. And uh, we, uh, my, my generation and, and people in the 80s uh, uh, grown up with the idea of the hegemony 
inside the bourgeois democracy, okay? Not class struggle, not revolution, but we can get this, see, we can reach the socialism, making some radicalization of democracy, but not expropriating the bourgeoisie, okay? Ernesto Laclau and Chantal Mouffe, when they wrote hegemony and socialist strategy, were thinking about something like that, okay? A, a kind of a left social democracy, like Mitterrand in the 80s, uh, which it was a, a, a failed experience. Uh, and also in, in, Amer in Latin America, uh, particularly in Argentina, but also in Brazil with the uh, PT, with the experience of the Workers' Party of Lula, uh, there is uh, an idea about hegemony, which is uh, the working class uh, must not to um, take direct action, must do politics uh, inside this uh, political regime, making a party to uh, uh, go to elections and get votes and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera, and not the the class struggle, not the uh, direct action. This is the opposite of Trotsky's conception. Trotsky that the hegemony could only be achieved if the working class had a very, very consequent struggle using the direct action for its own demands and also for the demands of all oppressed people for reasons of uh, gender or uh, culture or wherever. And only in this way, we can uh, talk about uh, hegemony of the working class. So, uh, and, 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 and also a, a, a thing more. Uh, this, um, this conception is linked with the problem of permanent revolution, as you say, because only going beyond the boundaries of the isolated demands, partial uh, reivindications, uh, the demands of more rights inside this democracy, which are necessary, but is not good enough. Only going beyond that, we can think in building socialism or a equal society, an, an egalitarian society. Uh, so this conception of hegemony is more profound, more integral than this kind of a a policy, political, only political a conception of hegemony, which is making a discourse, a progressive discourse, so we can uh, go to elections and get some votes or take the government and implement some rights, but not uh, expropriate the bourgeoisie, not touch the economy. The economy is um, keeps in the same hands and uh, the only change is about a discourse or some um, limited rights, okay? Yeah, so moving on in the next chapter, you start turning to Gramsci and in particular, you focus on the various scattered passages throughout his prison notebooks where he uh, talks about Trotsky. Um, Gramsci was often very critical of Trotsky and you do a lot of work to try and contextualize these remarks, understand what he might have had access to in terms of either articles about Trotsky or by Trotsky. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot of kind of archival work, but to get to kind of some of the cores of Gramsci's critiques of uh, Trotsky, which you argue are in many cases misreadings, but in any case, um, for Gramsci, Trotsky, he saw as ironically a part of the transition towards bureaucratization in the newly established Soviet Union. And there's also um, a misreading on Gramsci's part um, uh, an imbalance between 
uh, theory and practice uh, that Gramsci saw and was perhaps part of this. So could you maybe speak to, uh, you know, before getting to kind of trying to pull them together, what Gramsci thought of Trotsky um, and what we can get from these passages? Yeah. I don't want to be a reductionist, but I think we can say that the Gramsci's views on Trotsky are heavily influenced by the Soviet leadership criticism of Trotsky in the mid-1920s. I'm thinking especially in a text from Bukharin. We say Bukharin here. You say Bukharin, Bukharin. Bukharin, uh, this text is called uh, The Theory of Permanent Revolution of uh, 1924. In this text, there's a lot of arguments used later by Gramsci in the prison notebooks. This idea of an imbalance between theory and practice, which is used by Bukharin, saying that Trotsky used to make make big pictures of the situation, of the general situation of capitalism, but couldn't identify the different moments and changes of uh, relationship of forces, the development of revolution, uh, Bukharin said that and uh, um, opposed Trotsky to Lenin, okay? This is the basic approach that um, Gramsci take to make his criticism of Trotsky and with the exception of the criticism concerning the problem of uh, army labor or labor army in the civil war, uh, that Gramsci was right about the, this, the, this uh, is wrong, this idea of Trotsky was wrong. Um, the other uh, questions that Gramsci uh, uh, point out are very, very, very influenced by this kind of, of approach. And have, these ideas have a, a little a part of anti-theoricism, I, I could say. Yeah, I, this idea of, of Trotsky like a, um, the, a, a guy who is thinking theory but not politics. This idea is... Um, it has a little bit of populism, <laughs> of, of Soviet populism, uh, what you, uh, was used by Bukharin, Sinoviev, Kamenev, and uh, also Stalin in the, in the debates between 1924 and 1926, 27. Uh, a lot of these arguments uh, were circulating in the communist parties because of the polemics against the opposition. So I think the, the, the possibility of linking Gramsci and Trotsky theories is about, is about the theoretical contributions, but not exactly because of their political positions in the in the 1920s, especially because Gramsci was a defender of socialism in one country, notwithstanding he was a, a, he was critical about the bureaucratic methods. Okay, so the 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 image the image the, see the image uh, that Gramsci uh, drew uh, about Trotsky in the notebooks is uh, wrong uh, and. We should um, we should read uh, Trotsky, a, a, a superficial reading of Trotsky, uh, would allow us to see that Gramsci criticism were were um, wrong. Okay. Yeah, and jumping right off of that, if you go past just uh, saying that Gramsci misread Trotsky. Trotsky, you actually go further and argue that there are some 
really a key point of overlap between the way the two are thinking, particularly on how revolutionary struggle plays out. Could you maybe speak to that? Um, you don't think there's like a 100% overlap between their theories, but you think there are kind of these key points where they kind of link up and are trying to address the same problem. Could you uh, speak to that a little bit? Okay, I will try. I think... Um, hegemony and permanent revolution both are about the necessity of establishing a dynamic in which the social struggle goes beyond some boundaries or, or some limits, okay? Not every struggle isolated. So I'm, uh, I'm uh, of the trade unionist movement, so I ask for this. I'm of, uh, in, in the women movement, so I ask, I ask for this demand. So, incluso, I'm in the migrants movement, which is a workers movement, but with specific demands. So we, we're fighting uh, for that, but not for the same um, demands of the rest of the people, okay? I think the trade union's bureaucracy, it's a very important factor to uh, make this division. So we, we, we only fight about our uh, income, our, uh, our um, working conditions, and no more. So the movements uh, um, have to take an independent way separated of the rest of the movements. I think the both hegemony and permanent revolution are theories which uh, can allow us avoid this kind of division. Thinking in another possible dynamic of the class struggle, trying to make class struggle unify the working class with all oppressed sectors and go beyond the capitalism thinking in an egalitarian society, a communist society, the difference between Gramsci and Trotsky is more uh, located in some emphasis. Gramsci uh, thought uh, more about the national dimension of the politics, and Trotsky always thought in an internationalist way. Trotsky was uh, respectful of national traditions, but he always thought that a Russian working class didn't owe anything to the Russian past. Okay? And I think this difference between Russia and Italy, which because in Italy there was um, um, a more um, important cultural continuity between past and present, which is no, not in Russia. This different uh, approach to the national question is one of the most important differences between Trotsky and Gramsci. But both theories are thinking about the same problem, which is now a very strategical problem, the problem of unifying the class struggle and all kinds of progressive struggles to fight in order to change the structures, to change the society, not only some politics or some aspects of the system. So I think this is the more important overlap between the uh, both theories. Yeah, moving into the last chapter of the book, you kind of uh step out from just working through their works to try and understand how these two figures have been received. And we kind of touched on this at a couple points, um, but I particularly want to hone in on um, you spend some time with, uh, uh, I think you mentioned it already, Saccarelli's book, um, In the Shadow of Stalinism, um, where he argues that uh, the shadow of Stalinism is uh, much broader than many academics might assume because often uh, they have picked up Gramsci's misreading of Trotsky um, to his denigration, as well as 
you know, over-theorized Gramsci and kind of missed his own uh, militant politics. I'm wondering if you mm-hmm. could, you know, maybe tease this out a little more. And you mentioned Leclau and Muff maybe as kind uh-huh. of one of the most famous examples and uh, a very influential example. That book is in footnotes everywhere um, for some time <laughs> afterwards. So uh, could you maybe speak a little more to that? Okay, I think there's a very important problem in not only in the academia about the over-representation of uh, approaches about Gramsci and the almost uh, total absence of Trotsky. But I I think there's a broader, uh, a wider problem, okay, which is the... um, the force of the la fuerza de la costumbre, we say in Argentina, the, the force of the costume, the the the, the habit, okay, the this uh, this idea of every Marxist tradition, which is isolated from others, okay. So people who study Gramsci doesn't read another thinkers and think, okay. Uh, which is the relationship between this uh, guy and another, and this another, okay? In, in Trotskyism is, is uh, something usual also. In Trotsky's movement, uh, it's very common that the people, not only militants, um, uh, rank and file militants, but also intellectuals or academics, only read Trotsky Maybe talk about another things in academia, but not in the party. Okay, this division is is very is very common. So I think there is a very important problem, which is now we must not only uh, think about the problems of everyone's tradition, but also in a kind of generic um, way of Marxism. We must think about the problems of Marxist theory going beyond the boundaries of each tradition, trying to, without abandoning the, the, the core of a, a tradition, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm still uh, considering myself Trotskyist, but I think we can better understand Trotsky if we understand Gramsci, okay? And also, if, if, if we can study the, the thought of another Marxist thinkers, for example, Luis Althusser or Manuel Sacristán, uh, who uh, thought about the problems uh, in, of the class struggle in the 60s, 70s, or 80s, okay, we can understand better the situation of Marxism. And I think this... Um, this um, overlap, this, this uh, attempt to make a relationship between, in this case, Trotsky and Gramsci, is trying to do this, okay? We must think not only reproducing our own traditions in the, in the left, but also going beyond the limits, the boundaries, we must to think trying to use all, all the theoretical production of different Marxist tendencies to think the problems we must face today. I think uh, the, the, the main problem is here, and because of that, it's very common that in Gramscian studies, people doesn't uh, make the work of read Trotsky and, and see if the Gramsci's criticisms was uh, right or wrong, okay? This uh, few, this little circumstance is uh, linked to this big problem of the the question uh, uh, of how we can reconstruct the Marxist theory uh, today, not only in the economic crisis explanation, but also in in the political theory, okay? 
Yeah, so as a way of tying off this conversation, um, I'd like to ask, how do you hope this book um, helps people rethink what political struggle will look like? Because you are looking at um, a couple figures who have not traditionally been read together and trying to find points of overlap um, as a way of rethinking what political struggle might look like. And especially in a time, uh, I know in the United States, we are now seeing kind of reanimated class struggle in many other parts of the world. Uh, there seems to be kind of a re-emergence of kind of an understanding that class is kind of a major defining feature of our society. Um, and as you said, you know, especially among young people, the youth kind of uh, don't live under that shadow of, uh, you know, the Cold War. And so they're kind of able to revisit some of these ideas and political orientations with kind of a new set of eyes. Um, how do you hope people who come to your book, you know, how do you hope it helps them reorient and better understand uh, what they're trying to do in their own particular situation? What do you hope it gives them? Okay, I think the Capitalism is um, increasingly violent and predatory. Uh, we here in Argentina, we are um, looking with a lot of uh, enthusiasm, the process of organization, for example, in Amazon. We think this is a very, very important um, fact. Maybe I think my personal uh, thought this is uh, one of the most important events in the history of workers' movement in the last decades, okay? And I think it's very important to retake the discussions about hegemony or permanent revolution in order to make another strategy, a strategy uh, which is uh, beyond the separation of struggles, okay? We are not agreeing with this uh, United States discussion between identity politics and politics against bread and butter. This has, it has no, no, no sense, okay? No, it doesn't make sense. Make, make sense. Um, I think if this book has some, um, some use, should be to think in this way, trying to uh, re rethink the problem of the class struggle, not only like an economic struggle separated of other demands and not opposing the struggle in terms of class with the other uh, problems, the other demands of a uh, movement like women, uh, migrants, um, uh, the, the ecologist movement and others, okay? I think the main uh, attempt to make a contribution in this book has to do with that. Uh, and we're trying to make the, some discussion in political terms um, with left voice in the United States. Yeah. Well, Juan, thank you so much for coming on. I understand English was a challenge for you, but I very much appreciate <laughs> you coming on and uh, talking to me. Thanks. Uh, I, I apologize for my horrible English. <laughs> Thanks a lot. 